seated. Welcome to Epiphany Lutheran Church again. I am Pastor Eric, in case I don't know uh, some of you here tonight. And uh, thanks for coming out on New York Marathon Day when trains are shut down and rain is coming down and it's not the most comfortable of circumstances. Uh, my prayer and hope is that God will meet us here tonight as we uh, look to him in his word. We know he will. It's a promise. He will be here with us tonight and his spirit will reveal truth to us. Uh, before I get to the text for our sermon this evening, I want to share uh, a poem that really is in some way, in, in very large part, connected to our sermon series that we're starting this evening. Um, it's by Shel Silverstein. Some of you may be familiar with him from when you were a kid. I know I read his poems as a kid, The Giving Tree and Where the Sidewalk Ends and that sort of thing. Uh, but my wife actually pointed out this poem to me uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I read it and said, man, I've got to have that poem read before I preach on the Sunday we start this series. And so let me read to you what it says. It says, last night, while I lay thinking here, some what-ifs crawled inside my ear. And pranced and partied all night long and sang their same old what-if song. What if I'm dumb in school? What if they've closed the swimming pool? What if I get beat up? What if there's poison in my cup? What if I start to cry? What if I get sick and die? What if I flunk that test? What if green hair grows on my chest? What if nobody likes me? What if... What if nobody likes me? What if a bolt of lightning strikes me? What if I don't grow tall? What if my head starts getting smaller? What if the fish won't bite? What if the wind tears up my kite? What if they start a war? What if my parents get divorced? What if the bus is late? What if my teeth don't grow in straight? What if I tear my pants? What if I never learn to dance? Everything seems well, and then the nighttime what-ifs strike again. And now you know why we decided to call this series What If. Now let's listen to the words of Jesus found in the Gospel in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. They go like this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, I ask that you would come here in the midst of our very anxious world, our anxious lives, and deliver to us your peace that surpasses understanding. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The other day I caught a documentary on Netflix called Long Shot. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's the story of an innocent man named Juan Catalan that was arrested for murder out in the L.A. area. The police were absolutely 100% convinced that he committed the crime. In spite of his many, many denials, they didn't believe him. And frankly, they at least had good reason to believe him or not believe him. The person who was killed testified against his brother at a trial. The person, uh, there was a person who claimed to witness him shoot the girl who had been murdered. And so the police said that if he really hadn't done it, that he was going to have to prove it to them. He was going to have to show them. He was going to have to give them an alibi. Well, he claimed he couldn't have done it because that night he was at a Dodger game. But how can he prove it? Well, him and his wife scoured their apartment, looking everywhere to see if maybe, just maybe, he happened to save the ticket stubs from that evening. And by some stroke of providence, he had, and they found the tickets. <laughs> but that doesn't prove anything. We don't know if he actually went to the game. We don't know if he actually just ripped the ticket stubs and we have no, that doesn't show that he went. And so the lawyer that he had hired knew it wasn't strong enough. He'd have to get some proof by videotape. So he called the Dodgers front office and he asked if he could look at their film of that game. And the lawyer scoured for hours and hours and hours over this video looking for evidence that Juan was actually in attendance that night. And, uh, and even though there was a couple spots where he thinks he saw Juan, the film was just too grainy. And so, so that wasn't going to work. But So he gets, went to Juan one last time and he says, is there anything that stood out to you, that stuck out to you about this particular game? And Juan said, you know what, I think... They were filming a TV show that night. So they went back to the Dodgers front office, looked in the records. Sure enough, they were filming a TV show that night. They were filming Curb Your Enthusiasm. And Larry David had been there that night. And so the lawyer contacted Curb Your Enthusiasm and asked if they could look at the footage that they had recorded that night. And Larry David said, okay, I, I guess that's fine, sure. And they looked through it over and over and over again. And finally, after going through eight tapes of footage, boom, they saw Juan Catalan with his little daughter at the, and it just so happened that where Larry David was filming was the very row Juan Catalan was in. The very row. And that was the proof. <coughs> 
that really he needed to show. He wasn't guilty of the crime they said he committed. On top of that, later it was revealed that there was a record of him calling his girlfriend at the time that the game got out, and so it was even more proof. And so, long story short, he was exonerated. But what was interesting to me about the documentary is it began with these words. All of life is what if. And the documentary ends with these words. What if the Dodgers hadn't made the deal with Larry David to film that night? What if Larry David had decided not to film down that aisle? What if he didn't make that phone call? What if his daughter didn't want to go to the game that night and he just ended up staying home? And the closing words are, all of life is what if. What what if questions crawl inside your ear at night? The fact is I could probably spend a year going over all the things we worry about on any given day. From the moment we wake up, we're plagued with what if questions. What if I'm late to work? What if the train is too full? And I have to, I mean, if you, if you ever take the L, by the way, in the morning, you know, you're almost guaranteed to have to wait at least once and hopefully not more than twice because it is awful. But you worry about things like that. You worry about the people that you see around you at any given time. What if one of them does something? What if one of them is not stable? What if, what if, what if? Now, you throw into the mix the really big what if questions. What if I live my life alone? What if I never meet my true love? What if I don't fit in? What if they don't like me? What if I end up hating the career that I'm working so hard to get into? What if I don't do a good enough job to fit anywhere? Well, tonight we're going to talk about why it is we're so plagued by these worries by looking at the root of what ifs, the effect of what ifs, and the cure for what ifs. So first of all, let's, let's talk about the root of our what if questions. Uh, chances are, we'd like to think that the reason we ask the questions is because we're really responsible people. Uh, that it's because we're really strategic and that we plan out things really well and we want to make sure that we have all our bases covered. Or perhaps you think that you ask the what if questions because you just care so much for others that you can't help but worry about them, especially if you have children. It just is almost a default place to go is to ask what if and to act in line. And to some extent, that is true. That can be true, that the reason we ask those questions is because we want to be prepared and because we don't want bad things to happen that might be able to be avoided. But at its root, our what-if questions actually come from something much deeper within us, according to Jesus. If you look at your bulletin again, look at verse 30 of your text there Jesus says, our worrying actually has to do with, quote, little faith. Now you probably have all sorts of ideas about what faith is. Um, 
it gets sort of redefined regularly. But the picture of faith that you need to have in mind here is, is sort of akin or synonymous with being dependent. The idea of faith might be best expressed by the picture of a baby being rested in his mother's arms. The baby is totally and utterly unable to do anything for him or herself. The baby is utterly dependent upon the parent. And yet here is what scripture says about us human beings. We resist dependence more than just about anything else, especially when it comes to being dependent on God. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little dependence. Why? Why do we resist so much? I'll tell you why. It is because we like to feel like we have some level of control over our own lives. Our future, my destiny, my plan. And so we plot and we buy insurance of every kind to have a sense that no matter what happens in this life that we're going to be okay. And frankly, most of the time, we can live with a sense that our lives are under our own sovereign control. Most of the time, it kind of feels like that. I mean, if you do plan well, you probably will end up better than somebody who doesn't. That is, in some sense, true. Most days, you can wake up to an alarm on time. Most days, you can commute into work on time. Most of the time, you can be assured that your job will be waiting there for you. But then, every once in a while, we're reminded in a significant way that the control we think we have over our lives is at best partially true and mostly just an illusion. Just this week, people in our city were running and biking down the West Side Highway, like so many do on any given day comfortably. Out of the blue, a truck plows into them, killing eight and injuring many others. And you're reminded suddenly that you don't control as much as you think. Or we watch hurricanes passing over Puerto Rico and Houston, leaving devastation in their wake. And we remember the words of the Proverbs that say, though man plots his way, it's the Lord who directs his steps. And that lack of faith, that lack of dependence upon God is what causes the what-if questions to rush in with a vengeance. And when they come, they don't come without leaving a mark. They, they, they aren't harmless. The effect of our what-if questions is stress and panic and actually deteriorating health. Or the way Jesus describes it in our text, toil and spinning. That's the words he uses. I love those words because I think they are so perfectly descriptive of what happens when we are plagued by anxiety. Toil and spinning. The word for, the word for toil 
uh, is literally in Greek, it means, literally means to exhaust oneself doing wearisome work. And what does it look like to exhaust yourself doing wearisome work? Spinning around. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten to a place where you're stressed out or so anxious about something that you, you feel like you're moving all the time and you are, like you, you could be sitting still and you feel exhausted because you're so overthinking an issue? Have you ever had that moment? Where you feel almost paralyzed, toiling and spinning? In an article for the New York Times, Pico Iyer states it this way, it's only when we're living in the future, the realm of what if, that we brilliantly incapacitate ourselves. We think our way into paralysis. And research tells us that we are living in a time in the Western world, especially where we've never been more stressed out, more worried than we are right now. Dr. Richard Leahy, a prominent psychologist and anxiety specialist, has said, quote, the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. But this anxiety doesn't come out of nowhere. It's part of the air we breathe in modern American life. We, especially here, especially here in this city, live in what some refer to as a performance-ist culture. That is to say that we have learned, we have imbibed the idea that our worth in life is based only on how we perform, on how good we do. So we strive to get into great schools and we strive to work at the top Firms and we toil and spin to make more money, and if we don't, well then that must mean we're just not all that valuable to the world. And this mindset that our performance justifies our existence is killing us. In the August 2017 issue of the journal First Things, Dr. Aaron Cariotti, an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of California in Irvine, uh, wrote an article called Dying of Despair. He notes this. He says, quote, depression is now the most common serious medical or mental health disorder in the United States. 16% of Americans will have an episode of major depression at some time in their lives. He goes on, he notes that suicide rates of opioid addiction are rising at rapid rates and that since the 1980s, those who report they are chronically lonely has risen from 20% to 40%. There's been a whole slew of articles recently about uh, specifically middle-aged men that, are, uh, that have more struggles with addiction and with, uh, with dying early with poor health and the root of it is they're lonely. And what does this doctor in this article for First Things say? What does he attribute? all of these problems to performance-ism. Quote, when the useful replaces the good and efficiency becomes the highest value, human beings are instrumentalized. Rather than opening new vistas of freedom, economic and social liberation has made us subject to a logic of utility. So that's what happens when we let our what-if questions run amok and we, we let that guide us. Eventually it kills us, it paralyzes us. 
We feel like there's no hope. So, so what does Jesus say the hope is? What does Jesus say the cure is? The cure for your what-if questions, if you go back to that New York Times article I referenced earlier, the author insightfully says this. He says, quote, we worry only exactly about those things we can never do anything about. And then that very fact becomes something else we worry about. The cycle goes on and on until we let the mind give over to something larger, wiser than itself. What does Jesus say the larger thing is? The wiser thing is in itself. Listen again to our passage. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. What is he saying? He's saying to you, when the what-if questions plague you, remember who your God is. He is not simply the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, but he is the one who cares intimately about his creation, so intimately that he feeds the birds of the air and he clothes the grass of the field. It doesn't just happen. He actively takes care of his creation. He is not merely your God, but he chooses to be called your father and therefore your provider and your protector. Second, Jesus goes on to say that you need to remember who you are. When the what-if questions are coming, remember who your God is. And secondly, remember who you are. Quote, are you not of more value than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Well, there's two things that become strikingly clear that we need to remember about ourselves when the what-if questions come. Number one, this is a guarantee. Your worrying will not help you at all. Because you are not God. But number two, more importantly, you are incredibly valuable to God. And because of this, because of this, you can live with confidence that whatever happens to you, even really, really, hard stuff, difficult stuff, that because he cares for you, he's not absent from that. He's there too. You're so valuable that God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and suffers and bleeds and dies for your sins so that he would have the right to have you as his child. If you're that valuable to him, and there is no reason to feel insecure or worry. And the more secure that you are when those what-if questions come, you can handle them with poise and confidence. Because you know it ultimately doesn't fall on you to run the world. You know that. It doesn't fall on you to run the world. It's not your job. And so in light of that, Jesus instructs us to remember to pray. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Martin Luther put it this way. This is really handy for you to memorize. Pray and let God worry. Pray and let God worry. Well, the way our epistle states it tonight, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let me close. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, I was very privileged to have a great father. I still do. I have a great dad. Um, thankfully, he's still alive. still alive. He's back in California, and my mother. Uh, my dad was the kind of dad that um, played catch with me most days. He listened to me, made it abundantly clear that he loved me. He used to tell me all the time. I mean, even as I got older, he'd tell me, like, hey, I love you. And I'd awkwardly mumble back, like, you know, because it, it's just, you know, I, I don't know why it is, but I just, you know, that's a little, but he didn't care. He didn't care. He'd just tell me all the time. And one of the ways my father showed his love for me when I uh, was growing up is uh, frequently as a, as a little guy, I had a hard time sleeping. Couldn't fall asleep. Right at nightmares. And I can't tell you how many times as a little boy, my dad would come lay down on the bed with me and he'd start scratching my back. That was his thing. He'd always scratch my back. And then he would, he would say to me, your dad won't let anything happen to you. I'll protect you. You're safe. You can go to bed. You can rest. And he'd tell me he loved me. I love you too. And he'd pray near, pray with me. And he'd stay near me. You know what happened to me as a result of my father's word? When I lay down on my bed initially scared and frightened about whatever was going on or worried about what might happen at school the next day, you know what would happen? I'd be filled with peace. So too, when the what-ifs plague you, remember, your Father is present with you. Remember his word to you. And rest well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to call you that that name. Thank you, Lord God, that you meet us in our anxieties and our worries, that you hear our what-if questions and, and give us hope in spite of that. Give us faith, Father, because we can't produce it on our own. Give us faith, dependence that says yes whatever you say Lord I believe, I trust I, I'm relying on you I ask this in Jesus name